Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. We're delighted to be speaking to geographers and others around the world today in the company of two geography teachers, Kate Stockings and Hafsa Bobat. Kate is a blogger, tweeter and geography teacher at the Hampton School in Camden, and Hafsa teaches geography and geology at the Portsmouth Grammar School, where she's also involved in running the school's link with the Kikaya College School near Kampala. Hafsa is a long-standing member of the GA Post-16 Committee and the Decolonising Geography Collective. Kate and Hafsa are the 2021 winners of the RGS IBG OS Medal for Geographical Excellence and are leaders, role models and advocates in the field of geography. Kate, would it be accurate to start with saying that you have increasingly got a strong uh, teaching and learning focus? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, I've been teaching for six years now, so I'm in my sixth year. And um, quite understandably, the first few years were me trying to work out what was what and work out what I was doing and really get into the swing of it. And then over the last couple of years, I've really felt like I've had the headspace and the time to branch out a little bit, I suppose. Um, And that started by really thinking about geography curriculum and really thinking about the big picture of geography and why we teach what we do, particularly at Key Stage 3. Um, But now that's starting to become even broader and consider teaching and learning in the widest sense, I suppose, through um, using my geography lens to think about what we do across all different subjects and how to make sure we're teaching students as effectively as possible. Hafsa, you're both a geologist and a geographer. Uh, What first drew you to these subjects and how do you manage to include them in your teaching? Um, Well, I've always been fascinated by the natural world. Um, I mean, as a child, I would spend hours watching David Attenborough and memorising all the names of different animal species. And I loved being outside, exploring, climbing trees. I was always curious about the natural landscape and the processes that shaped it. Um, So that sort of first interested me in geography. And I think I was also influenced by my faith because there's a strong emphasis in the Quran um, to observe and to think about the natural world um, as evidence of God's existence. And I've also always been fascinated by the geographical references in the Quran, like to mountains and clouds and rivers. Um, at school, geography field trips were definitely the highlight, um, especially physical field work. I mean, any excuse to jump in a river. Um, <laughs> I um I had this amazing trip to um to Iceland in in my AS geography, um and that's probably what confirmed you know my love of the subject and my wish to to study geography at a higher level. Um, so I was always very much a physical geographer, um, and this is what I studied at university. Um, although even though I've I loved plate tectonics at school, geology had always remained a bit of a mystery to me. And this was until around three years ago when I applied for my current position um, at PGS. Um, And part of the deal was to contribute to the A-level geology. So I thought, oh, why not let me give it a go? Um, And it was then that I went to the um, Kiel summer school. So it's it's like an eight-day summer school um, run by the University of Kiel. Um, And, yeah, that really sort of changed my whole outlook and view on geology and, and also physical geography and also my approach to teaching as well. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy teaching, teaching both geography and geology over the past couple of years. Hopefully so. 
Uh, Kate, you're an advocate for London to become a national park city. If successful, what will that look like? Yeah, so um, I was lucky enough to be one of the 50 volunteer rangers of the London National Park City. Um, 50 of us were chosen about a year ago now. They've now expanded it to 110. So there's 110, um, as I say, volunteer rangers from all walks of life, all ages, all backgrounds, who are working together to promote the movement of London and National Park City. And I wanted to get involved with that because of what their kind of success criteria, to use a teacher term, is. Um, They are aiming to make London wilder, healthier and greener. Um, And I suppose that ties into what we were just talking about, about the natural world and getting students out to get them inspired. Teaching in London, teaching in Camden, where I do, I'm so aware that for a lot of our students, the only time they spend outdoors and the only association they really have with nature is what they see as they walk to and from school. And whilst, of course, that's better than nothing, that's a really urban walk for a lot of our students. And that is a very concrete environment that they kind of tread through every day. And so I was inspired, as I say, by the movement to make London greener, um, but also wilder and to get people realising that we need to become a healthier city. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great to be involved. And it's definitely, really interestingly, definitely had an impact on my teaching. I think it's made me very aware of of the environment around us and of discussing that with students and discussing how it might need to change in order to improve quality of life for everyone, particularly post-pandemic, of course. Um, When I was calling my year nine form, or they were year eight at the time, but when I was calling my year eight form once a week during lockdown one, I was always asking them about where they'd been on a walk, how they'd been outside, how they'd enjoyed themselves on their daily walk. And then now that's just completely dropped off because we're back in school, we're back to our normal routine and I'm just very aware of that and that's something I definitely want to keep working on um, in the summer and into next year as well. We've touched upon uh, curriculum knowledge and building a curriculum uh, through Key Stage 3 and onwards. Um, Can I ask what geographical knowledge should be in someone's teaching in both of your opinions Um, and what pedagogical knowledge following on from that? Um, Kate do you want to go first and then Hafsa? Okay. Um, Yeah, really interesting question and not one I'm sure I can answer in a podcast um, because I think what's so fascinating about geography is the debate over what powerful geographical knowledge is and obviously the complexity of that debate. So I would say um, that I would never advocate the geography that someone should teach as long as they've gone through that process of thinking about why they're teaching what they're teaching and as long as that thought process has gone on with regard to sequencing. So if you do plate tectonics in year nine, like I choose to, um, that's fine. If you do it in year seven, that's fine. Um, As long as you can tell me kind of why you do it at that stage and how you're building links and building your sequencing across key stage three. Um, As I say, the debate about what is good, powerful geographical knowledge is so complex. Um, I would love to explore it if someone wants to invite me to do a PhD on it. I am there um, because I think it is so, so interesting. But as I say, I think the main thing is that you've had that conversation about what you're teaching and why. And obviously with kind of social media and looking at um, curriculums on Twitter and things like that, it can be very easy to see someone's work without any context and come to your own decision about why they're teaching what they're teaching. And actually 
until you know the context and until you've spoken to them about their department and their students and the background of their students, actually, you, I would argue, you can't really pass full judgment on what they're doing. So my main message would be to have the conversations and to make sure we take the time to ask those really critical questions, because by doing that, we're going to make sure we're all teaching the best geographical knowledge in our context based on our background with our staff. And Hafsa? Yeah, I mean, I really like what you said, Kate, about the important thing being to understand why we're teaching. Why are we teaching these particular topics or this particular order, these particular case studies? Um, and of course, it's much more than just let's just do what's in the textbook or let's just go by the spec- GCSE specification. Um, but of course, a lot more thought should go into it. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's such a huge question, but there, there's sort of three things that I thought about. Um, um, firstly, is bringing the human and the physical geography together. And I mean, obviously, there's always been a bit of an issue in geography with teachers often having a either very strongly human or very strongly physical background in their degree. I mean, I myself studied, you know, I gave up human geography as soon as I could um, because I, I never really enjoyed it that much um, at school. Um, and then coming into teaching, it can be quite a challenge to then sort of take that step back and think about bringing those together, even though we do tend to teach. I mean, a lot of people, I'm guessing, and we do in our school, we tend to divide up still the physical topics and the human topics. Um, but I think what's really important um, and what makes geography unique is, of course, linking those together. Um, I mean, I've used the example of um, studying a case study on malaria, for example, when I explain this to my pupils and how important it is. Um, so, for example, how looking at the physical geography, the physical geographical context of the disease can be so important in understanding the spatial and temporal occurrence of malaria, which is, of course, very much very much a human topic of study, the, the geography of disease. Um, uh, also, just to sort of, again, follow on from what Kate said about why are we teaching what we're teaching, um, is also another aspect that I feel is a little bit perhaps under um, something that I think we don't do enough of in geography, which is understanding how we know what we know in geography. Um, so what you might call the disciplinary knowledge of geography. Um, and I think it's something that people are often curious about, but perhaps we're not that explicit about in our teaching. And that's something that I really enjoyed about geology, because there's a big emphasis in, in geology on the evidence um, for what we're teaching. So, for example, in geography, I've you know, you might see the, the structure of the earth presented, um, which is a model that we almost take for granted. You know, here's the cross mantle and core. But in geology, it's, it's a kind of, we approach it the other way around and we look at, you know, what is the evidence for each layer and how is each layer discovered? And look, we get to learn about the fascinating story of how this model was built up over time. Um, I've got one more thing to add, but I think I might, I might let Kate speak for a bit and I'll come back to it. Go for it, Kate. Um, yeah, I think the disciplinary knowledge point is so important because it's definitely something still on my radar to improve um, the discussion of, of, you know, what makes a good geographer and how we construct geographical knowledge. Um, it's something that I know we need to do more of. I know we can learn from other disciplines such as geology about how to do that, but it's, it's not something we've done well enough yet. Um, and I think, you know, that ties into a bigger point about knowing where you are in your curriculum and knowing where you are as a department and knowing what your next steps are, because 
one of the biggest challenges in teaching is that you'll never be done. You'll never step back and say, I have finished, I have completed teaching geography. Um, and so that's, you know, one of the most important things is know where you are, be truthful about where you are. Of course, recognize how much progress you've made as a department and how much progress you've made in your curriculum, but always be, be being a critical friend to yourself and recognizing what perhaps still needs work. Shall I mention my my final? Go for it. Yes, please, Hafsa. Um, it's uh, well relating to um, my work with diversity and inclusion, um, and just thinking about again when you say what geographical knowledge should we teach? Um, well, I, th I think it's so important to go beyond what we might sort of think of as the core, the sort of given in geography, what you might find in a textbook or in the sort of normal resources. Um, but try to go beyond this um, and, and seek to present a range of different views, um, use multiple sources. Um, so particularly coming from a decolonial perspective, um, we should be thinking about, you know, marginalised voices and underserved communities and consider what might be missing. Because obviously, as you know, geography has long been dominated by quite a homogenous demographic. Um, so, you know, including things like lived experiences, which can give more context and nuance to, um, you know, broader overarching geographical theories. I mean, that's one reason why I really value my school's link with um, Chakaya College School in Kampala or near Kampala. Um, because, it, you know, it gives the pupils this really valuable, valuable um, opportunity to learn from and to learn with each other. Um, and just, you know, to gain some inside information, if you like. I mean, the people who really in, enjoy our discussions, we've been able to discuss issues around conservation, sustainability, water resources. Um, I'm actually just in the process of um, setting up a podcast between our two schools to, to get the students talking a bit more about these different issues and sharing ideas. And how have these points that you've both raised uh, structured your key stage three units, which then feeds, of course, into key stage four and then uh, sixth form learning and geography? Yeah, and well, I think it's fairly well known that I absolutely love key stage three curriculum planning. If I could just be a key stage three kind of expert, I think I would absolutely love to do that. Um, so our key stage three has gone through some big changes over the last couple of years. Somewhat disappointingly, we actually haven't taught it all the way through yet because COVID keeps getting in the way um, and we adjusted our plans accordingly because of the lockdowns. So I'm really looking forward to next academic year, getting stuck in and doing it in its entirety once again. Um, but our key stage three, we've really just gone through that thought process about sequencing and about the order that we do it in. And obviously that's a conversation that never finishes, but having had it is so great. Um, and our key stage three, we've recently moved to big fertile questions, which was part of a whole school move. So all of our schemes of work ask big questions. For example, um, you know, should we preserve Antarctica? What's the best path of development for Jamaica, etc. And what that enables us to do is at the end of the topic, we ask the students to draw together all of their knowledge to answer that question. And that's been particularly powerful in getting them to think synoptically and think like a geographer, whereby they've completed maybe six or seven weeks of lessons on that 
topic. And then we say, right, you've done that for a reason. You've learned that information for a reason. And that is now to answer that huge geographical question that we posed for you. And that geographical question will never have a right or wrong answer. Um, but the students are invited to ask it and to give their opinion, but their opinion, of course, based on the geography. So that's been a big change for us um, in Key Stage 3 and something, as I say, I've really enjoyed. And going into the summer term, where hopefully we'll have a little bit more uh, game time once the older ones go. It's going to be about making those tweaks, once again thinking about our sequencing, once again thinking about what links we can draw across different topics and making any changes before we go in again in September. Hafsa, you received the OS Award for honouring geographical excellence with the description that you're a highly qualified geographer and that you're recognised for making the discipline meaningful and inclusive to the widest possible range of students and teachers. Could you add a little context on, on what you do do and how you've achieved this? Okay, well, I mean, my work in this area all started with my master's degree at um, the Institute of Education, um, which I did a few years ago now. Um, and during, during my master's, I carried out some research looking at the underrepresentation of minority ethnic groups. And this was something I just thought of based on my own experience. We were asked to identify an issue that we thought was concerning in geography education. And it's just something that I had noticed um, throughout my time um, as a geographer. I always seem to be, you know, one of the, ve one of the very few um, people um, who was from a minor minority ethnic um, background. Um, so I, I did my research on that. And then after that, that, that um, opened up further opportunities for me um, and now I have presented my research at conferences, um, spoken to schools, um, to PGC trainees. Um, I'm involved in uh, reviewing teaching resources, um, you know, to, to make sure um, their representation, the language they use um, is inclusive and representative. Um, I'm also part of the Decolonized Geography Collective, um, and this involves working with, with and collaborating with other geography teachers to produce new resources and to critique existing resources. Um, and likewise, in school, um, my school have um, recently further developed our focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, so we've set up, we've recently set up two... Um, committees we've got a, a diversity inclusion culture and a curriculum group and I'm part of the curriculum group um, and our plan is you know to, to basically undertake a, a review of our curriculum you can see what we can do to improve as well as looking at the culture of the school um, and just make making sure we can be as inclusive as we can um, we're actually having a we're having three big events next year so one will be on race and equality one on gender and one on um, LGBTQ, I think. Three big events, yeah, one each term um, to, to promote diversity and inclusion in the school. Um, and, and finally, just on an individual level, um, I'm always trying to, I always try to make time to speak to my people individually um, and get their feedback on how they're finding geography, um, the things that inspire them, um, things that might dissuade, dissuade them from studying it. Um, so quite often this will be people of minority ethnic heritage um, who will be affected by some of the issues I found out about in my research. Um, and quite often I'll come across these misconceptions that we can discuss, we can address them, perhaps I can speak to their parents. So, yeah, it's like an ongoing um, thing. 
Kate, likewise, you received the same award and are described as having a hugely positive impact on fellow colleagues, rapidly rising to head of department, uh, and as someone who builds and shares a range of quality teaching resources across digital and social platforms. Uh, in your words, uh, what's been your impact and, and what is a quality resource in your eyes? Oh, what a question. What's been <laughs> um, well, I, I would hope, you know, I would hope that if I've made somebody's life easier and made somebody better equipped to teach the best geography possible, then I've had the kind of impact that I'd like to have. Um, I kind of got involved in the wider geography world in my NQT year, where I was at risk of really, really struggling um, just as a result of the school that I ended up in. So when I applied for my first job, I wasn't aware that there wasn't a head of department um, in the school. So I arrived at NQT and there wasn't really anybody for me to learn from in terms of geography. The head of faculty was fantastic, but they were a historian. The head of the school shared A-level geography with me and he was excellent, but he was the head. So he had more than enough to do. Um, and I just really found myself without an experienced, excellent geographer to learn from, which was really, really difficult for me because that was something that I valued really highly in my PGCE and was really looking forward to in my first school. So that's why I turned outwards to the wider community. And obviously for the first couple of years, I was just a bit of a lurker and just took um, and took the advice, took the help, took the resources of several people who are still huge in the geography community. And then as time went on and I kind of gained a little bit more confidence, I started to give back, um, as I say, mainly for those reasons that I'd been in that situation. I'd been that NQT who was just on their own. And I mean, the year that I did my NQT was the last year of the old GCSE and the first year of the new. So I was teaching four different exam classes, four different exam courses, uh, which was just mad because year 13 were on the old, year 12 were on the new, year 11 was old, year 10 was new and key stage three. And it was just absolutely mad. Um, and I did survive through the wider community. So that's why I got quite so involved. And that's why I hope my impact has been positive to help anyone else in a similar um, situation. In terms of what are good quality resources, um, my thinking has changed. I scroll back through my Twitter and kind of cringe at certain things. Uh, but it's a rite of passage, you know. We all have to go through it. We all have to go through the games and the... Oh, all sorts um, and kind of come out the other side and step back and say, actually, hang on a second, I'm a geography teacher and where is the geography in this resource? Now, if the geography is there, great. Um, creativity is obviously wonderful as well. But I think particularly in those early years, we can be at risk of um, placing creativity above geography. Um, which is something I've been so aware of in my role this year as a PGCE mentor. And I've been so aware the whole time when I'm speaking to my mentee of actually you are training to be a geographer and you are training to be a subject specialist. So that has to be the focus of what we're doing. So in terms of what are good quality resources, I think it is, you know, is this the best way of teaching that geography? One example, I often see trainees and NQTs asking to teach plate tectonics. How should I teach plate tectonics? How should I teach the difference between a convergent and divergent boundary? And my answer is, well, get them to open a double page, get them to get a sharp pencil in their hands. They've got a double page spread in front of them. They divide it into four boxes. You have a good quality board pen in your hand, different colors if you can, and you start drawing and you start annotating and you start discussing and they start copying. 
Um, and that's not to say that, you know, chalk and talk is the best method for every lesson and for every content. Of course, it's not. But for certain bits of our discipline, the best way of teaching it is just the good old fashioned. Here's the knowledge. Let's learn it. Um, and I think that's really important to remember, as I say, particularly for NQTs and PGCEs. Sometimes you do not have to jazz it up. You do not have to have a jazzy worksheet with jazzy fonts and whatnot. Sometimes it is absolutely fine for you to have notes in your hand. And again, I stress that, that it's fine for you to have notes. You to have notes in your hand, a whiteboard, and you just to teach it. Um, and if you can recognize that, or the earlier you can recognize that in your career, perhaps the easier your life will become. I've also been through the same sort of transition, Kate, as well, going from spending lots and lots of time making my resources and sort of setting up student work so they can use these amazing resources and just kind of get on with it on their own while I'm, I seem to be not doing much in the classroom. I've gone from that to really focusing my planning on basically planning my explanation and, pla- and making sure my subject knowledge is secure so that when they ask questions, I can explain it in an effective way. That's really interesting to hear. Thank you both for sharing a bit of context and background to the awards. Um, as the awards are the OS Map Awards, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about maps and geospatial data. Um, how do those things feature in your teaching? Uh, Hafsa, maybe oh, you could go first. Brilliant. Okay, so maps. I mean, of course, maps. I mean, I really feel it's, it's impossible to really get a good understanding, of, a deep understanding of geography without using maps in some form. I mean, what I use a lot now in my teaching um, is GIS. Um, and I use this a lot both from the front um, as a teaching tool as well as a resource for pupils to navigate. Um I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really amazing tool. And I must give a shout out to um, to Alistair Hamill, um, through, who supported me so much with GIS, and I've learned so much from him um, and the videos he's put up and his resources. Um, I think... Wait, what was you going to say? Yeah, so um, I also feel that it really helps students to put their geographical knowledge in context so unless you know the location of something you're, you're studying, I feel it's, it's, um, it's not possible to get a full understanding of, of what's really happening in that case study. Um, and therefore, I also strongly feel that people should strive to commit some locational knowledge to memory as well, which seems a bit of a taboo these days because you can just Google everything. Um, but in working with maps um, and integrating them in, you know, your everyday geography teaching, you can embed that geographical knowledge, which can can really help their sort of wider understanding. What do you think, Kate? Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting about the taboo of committing it to knowledge and committing it to memory, sorry, because we've changed our key stage three and the last couple of years in light of COVID, in light of the lockdowns. And we're just starting to have the conversations about the very few final weeks when we come back after May half term. And we're going to change the plan slightly with year nine to respond to an issue that we're all aware of, which is that their locational geography is not good enough. So I'm just in the stages of putting together a series of lessons. One we're calling mapping key st- um, mapping GCSE geography, and one we're calling mapping GCSE history. And these lessons are very atlas focused, very locational knowledge focused. And I'm really excited about it. Really excited about giving students the opportunity to sit down 
for several hours across the week of uh, across the several weeks uh, with an atlas and just look at our world and look at places and maps and scale and look at the interconnections in a physical geography sense between different places um, but as you say Hafsa there is this taboo issue of committing that to memory and the balance of doing that because even as I'm making these lessons I'm very aware that I want them to know this stuff and I want them not just in the lesson to know um, you know, some basic locational knowledge about Europe, but I want them to remember this. And how do we do that? And that's something I need to focus on over the next few weeks is how we make sure they actually do know it. Because as you say, it's important knowledge, regardless of Google, it's important knowledge for life and for understanding current affairs and understanding geopolitics and the world around us. Um, so maps are increasingly an important thing. Uh, luckily, we got the budget to buy some atlases. So we now have a complete set for Key Stage 3, which is really, really useful. Um, like many, I'm going to be honest, GIS remains something for me to work on. Uh, we are just held back by logistics, and I know that's no excuse, but we can't get the students into IT rooms as I would like to, to do really fantastic GIS. Now, of course, you know, I just await people emailing me in anger saying it doesn't have to be on a computer. No, I'm completely aware it doesn't. We can do it on phones. We can do it in front of the classroom. Absolutely. But I'm thinking here in terms of very best practice, I'd love to do it where we got the students into IT rooms much more. That hasn't happened. So, um, you know, I'm still on that journey of working out how best to do that in the classroom within the constraints of what we've got. And the reason I suppose I wanted to stress that is just because I know so many teachers are in a similar position whereby it's very easy, as I say, to go on Twitter or to go to a course and feel really um you know, like you're doing an insufficient amount of GIS and feel really inferior in terms of what you offer. But we've all just got to do what we can in terms of using map and geospatial data as we can in our particular classrooms. Yeah, you know, I mean, interesting what you hear about computer room. I haven't managed to get my kids into the computer room either, especially with COVID, because we've all been in these bubbles. Um, but I've, I mean, especially in the past year, I've really found GIS as you just said but useful from teaching from the front quite often I'll just give my people a series of outline maps and we'll just use the maps combined with the GIS and we'll just annotate the maps um and it, it can be a really useful tool like that and I'll, I'll allow the, the pupils to sort of lead as well and you know we can zoom in on different areas and I, I mean it'll be a ready-made GIS that I've put together in advance um I mean it doesn't give people the chance to get involved with making the GIS themselves. But I think that's one mistake that I used to make with GIS. So I used to think that the pupils have to be doing the GIS to be using it. There's no point in me just using it because they need to learn how to do it. But actually, the reason that I'm using the GIS is for the pupils to learn geography, not necessarily to, use, to learn GIS. I mean, of course, it's useful for them to develop those skills also. But the primary reason is because it helps me to explain the geography in a more effective way. And personally, what does the future hold? Um, well, I mean, at work, um, I want to stay in the classroom. So, I mean, I'm not a head of a department or anything, and I never have been. I mean, I've, I've taught for, um, where did I do my PGC? 2009, so before you, I think, Kate. So I've been teaching for quite a while. Um I mean, actually, I was always the up until this job. I've always been the sort of sole geography teacher. So I guess I've had some kind of 
head of department geography responsibility. Um, but I mean, my main focus is to stay in the classroom. And I, I guess I would like to perhaps have some further leadership responsibilities. But, you know, I love being with the kids in the classroom and teaching them. And, you know, that's, that's what I enjoy most about my career. So, so that's what I want to focus on, developing my subject knowledge, developing my teaching practice. Um, and also, of course, outside school, I want to continue to be involved in other initiatives and projects as I am now. Um, I want to get my sea jog. And um, do you have it, Kate, by the way? Are you a charter geographer? Uh, it was on my lockdown one to do list. And it's it never quite on. made it off my lockdown one to do list. But one day. <laughs> still, it's still on my to do list too, but I'll get there eventually. Um, so, yeah, just continue to pro- perhaps play a greater role in you know, supporting other teachers as well. Um. And Kate, as well as CJOG, like Hafsa, what are your plans? Um, well, I, yeah, similarly to Hafsa, I'm, I'm really lucky now that I'm getting some amazing opportunities uh, in the kind of textbook, resource writing, consulting world, which is really exciting. Um, but again, similar to Hafsa, I'm definitely ready for, for a good few years more in the classroom. Um, I think teaching, if you're in it from after your PGCE and you do that straight out of university, obviously it can be an incredibly long career. So I'm very aware that I've got a good few years left in me as quite a heavy teaching um, timetable. But going forward, you know, um, as we said right at the beginning, I am really interested in teaching and learning in the widest sense and in geography curriculum in the widest sense. So see where that takes me and see what the next few years hold in terms of opportunities that come my way and where I might end up. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about where I am, excited about my, what what might come my way. Um, and I just want to keep reading, keep learning and keep going really. What about your PhD in powerful knowledge, Kate? Ah, the PhD is a funding dependent. So in all seriousness, that is very much on the radar. I just need to make the sums add up. Um, But I haven't looked into it yet. So that can be a shout out if anyone has any ideas. (laughs) It's in the pipeline. Um, It's been really interesting to speak to you both and directly to, to geography teachers. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your awards. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.